When Jesus set out for Jerusalem, as we've just read about, he was setting out to die. It says in Luke 18, right before where we just read, Luke 18, 31 to 33. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus knows exactly what's happening. He is on the way to Jerusalem to die. And it struck me this week as I was thinking of Palm Sunday that more than one thing happened on the road to Jerusalem that day. When we think of what we call the triumphal entry, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem seated on a donkey and the crowd of people praise Him and they wave the palm branches and they lay out their cloaks before Him. We think of Palm Sunday, that's what we think, but there's more to it than that. Much more happened on that day. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that what we have on Palm Sunday is Jesus setting His face like flint towards Jerusalem so that He can die. Think about this. <clears throat> what, about, what about you? What if you knew that today you were going on a little trip and the destination of that little trip will be the place where you'll be murdered in less than a week? What's that do to you? Would that do anything to you as you're walking down that road? What will you be thinking? What will you say to the people you meet on that road? Will you be consumed with yourself, with your self-pity, with your despair? Will you be depressed? Will you care anything for the people that you come across? When everyone is looking at you and listening to you, what will they see and what will they hear? I guarantee you, whatever they see and hear is the real you. Everything else is stripped away. You're on the road to die. Walking down the road to die must have an extremely clarifying effect. When you're walking down the road to die, the things that are most important will be the only things that matter. And so as I thought about Jesus and what He did as He walked down the road to die, it struck me this is very instructive for us. Whatever Jesus did on that road must have been very important, must have been very important to Him. He is walking down the road to die. Whatever He does as He's walking down that road must be the reason that He exists. That's what I want us to see today. What does Jesus do as He's on the road to Jerusalem to die? And I want us to see that by looking at the people that Jesus meets on the road. Look at who He meets. See if you see yourself in the people that Jesus meets. And see if we as a church are anything at all like Jesus as He interacts with these people. The first person that I want to look at is in Luke 18, verse 35. Right at the end of the chapter, this is all the same day, this is all happening all together. He's on His road, He's on the road to Jerusalem to die, and He's passing through Jericho. As Jesus is passing, was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. 
We know from Mark's account of this that this man has a name. His name is Bartimaeus. He is a blind beggar. His whole life depends on other people having compassion on him. And so this blind man, blind Bartimaeus, is sitting where he usually sits. This is his life. This is his routine. This is his world. He sits by the side of the road, hoping that someone who's passing by will do something to help him. Maybe someone today will give me something. Someone will take pity on me so that I can have something to eat today. As he's sitting there, something strange happens. He starts hearing a commotion. Verse 36. Now hearing a a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Who? Jesus of Nazareth? I've heard of him. He's the one that can heal sick people. He's the one that... I've heard stories. He, He gives blind people their sight again. In fact, he's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus from just the next town over, Bethany. He raised him from the dead. Surely this Jesus can help me. So what does he do? Verse 38, And he called out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is the first person that Jesus meets as he's on the road to die. A blind man who's heard about Jesus and who shamelessly calls out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. There's probably someone like that here this morning. You know how helpless you are. You know that you are powerless to do anything to change yourself. You know it. You're just like this man. You're just like blind Bartimaeus. It's not your eyes, but there is something. There's some sin. There's some malady, some addiction. And you know that you're helpless. And all that you can do is sit there and beg. But you've heard about this Jesus. You've heard other people talk about Him. You've been here this morning, at least, as we've sung to Him and about Him and prayed to Him and read about Him. Maybe you've heard all of this before many, many times. And finally, you're at the end of your rope and you know that you're helpless. And the only thing you can do is sit there and cry out to Him, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Is that you? Have you gotten that far yet? Or do you still think that you can pull it off? If that's you, then do not stop calling out to Him until He hears you. Do not stop calling out to Him for mercy. Even if you've been calling out to Him for years, do not stop. Why? What does Jesus do? How does He respond to this man? Look what He does. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded that He be brought to Him. And when He came near, He questioned Him. What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) You would think it would be obvious, right? What do you want me to do for you? Just tell me. Ask me. 
And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. As a minister, as a servant of Jesus Christ, as his representative, as his ambassador, I tell you right now, Jesus will hear your cry for mercy. He will hear you. He is ready and willing and able to hear you and to help you. Do not stop calling out to Him. Keep on believing in Him. Keep on hoping in Him. He is filled with power and compassion and mercy. He will have mercy on you. Keep on calling out to Him. When he's on the road to die, he stops to help a helpless man. What do you want me to do for you? And he is asking that same question to you this morning. What do you want me to do for you? All you have to do is ask him. And think of this. Are we as a church anything? Are we as Christians anything like Jesus in this? Are we anything like Jesus in His love for helpless people? There's another kind of person in this crowd. It's walking through Jericho. Verse 39. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. Telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He couldn't care. He doesn't care what they say to him. He will have mercy, so he calls out for mercy. But there are people like this other group here this morning. Bartimaeus, would you just shut up? Can't you see that we're all trying to learn from the great teacher? Can't you see that we're being spiritual? Shut up! And there's some like that here today. In your mind, the greatest offense is a lack of dignity, a lack of decorum. Especially when religion is involved. Why all the excitement? Why all the energy? Why all the noise? Can't you see that we're trying to learn from the teacher? You are the people here who can't stand anything messy. You can't stand needy people. You can't stand people like blind Bartimaeus who come in here and mess up your serious learning time, your serious life. You can't stand the thought of something unpredictable happening. I want you to think about it. If someone actually stood up, I mean really actually stood up right now in this room, right now. If someone actually stood up right now and cried out to Jesus Christ for mercy right now, Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me, what would be your first instinct? 
shut up. Sit down, shut up. Can't you see we're trying to worship here? Who? Who are we trying to worship? The, the Lord who tells people to sit down and shut up? Or the one who commands everyone else to shut up so that he can give attention to this man? How do you think uh, Jesus would respond to you if that's you? What does he do here? Well, he ignores them. At least, he completely ignores them. He hears the voice calling out of the crowd, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he could not care less what these super spiritual, nitpicky, self-conscious, self-centered tightwads think or say. He couldn't care less. Actually, that's probably not true. Luke doesn't tell us this, but I think it's very likely that Jesus is actually ticked off with them. You remember what Jesus did? Remember what happened when kind of a similar situation, people were trying to bring their children to Jesus? Remember that story? They're trying to bring their children to Jesus so that Jesus would touch them. Mark 10, 13 and 14, they were bringing children to Him so that He might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, He was indignant. It's a nice way of saying He's completely ticked off at them. Who in the world do you think you are telling them not to come to Me? And I suspect that He is angry with you who do the same thing today. There's another person that Jesus met on the road to die. Luke 19.1 He entered Jericho and was passing through and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. If you know anything about tax collectors, you know they're always bad news. You ever see a tax collector in the Bible? Always bad news. He's always a bad guy. The tax collectors in Jesus' day were in cahoots with the Roman government. There were the lackeys of the Romans, the, the occupying power. You know the story. They had sold themselves out. They're turncoats. They're traitors. They're serving those who were oppressing the nation of Israel. And they're getting rich doing it. And this Zacchaeus had evidently done a very good job at it. <laughs> he has risen through the ranks. He's not just any old tax collector. He's the chief tax collector, and he's rich. And verse 3 says, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. So this Zacchaeus is a kids. What is he? Are there any kids left in here? There aren't any more kids. Zacchaeus was a what? A wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And so growing up and living as a wee little man, he learns how to deal with this. He climbs trees. He's resourceful. He, he wants to see Jesus. And what does Jesus do? How does He respond to him? Look at verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Jesus is on a mission. 
He is on his way to Jerusalem to die, but he looks up in, into this tree at this ridiculous little man, this wee little man, this ridiculous little rich sinner man. And he says, Zacchaeus, get down here. I am having lunch at your house today. And Jesus has his eye on Zacchaeus. His mission includes finding and saving this particular specific man. This wicked man. How does Zacchaeus respond to this? It says, And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And he doesn't just receive him gladly as his lunch guest in his home. Zacchaeus receives Jesus gladly as his Lord. Verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stopped. They're walking. He comes down. They're on their way to his house for lunch. And on the road, he stops and he says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, if, if, I will give back four times as much. What does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. This wee little man, this tax collector, this sinner, this chief tax collector is a new man and it's obvious to everyone. Everyone who sees him, it's obvious. He, this man has a new heart. Those kinds of words don't come out of the mouth of a chief tax collector. Something has, has changed with this man. And you can see his new heart by the fact that he has a new Lord. He isn't serving money anymore. He's serving Jesus now. And there are some of you here this morning who are just like the old Zacchaeus. You're just like him. You're slaves. You're slaves to money. You serve money. Because you actually think money will save you. Money will give you life. Money will give you peace. Money will give you joy. Money will give you comfort. Money will give you status. You're just like Zacchaeus. And if that's you, then you're lost. Jesus said He came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's you, you're lost. Jesus said back in Luke 16, a couple of chapters earlier, he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You should not serve God and wealth. <laughs> Is that what he said? You cannot. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's impossible. It cannot be done. If you try, you're only fooling yourself. And when Jesus comes, He comes to change you. He comes to change you. And He can change you. 
And Jesus says here in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All of you who are here this morning who know that you are lost, take heart. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. You are here this morning. You are here right now this morning. Just like Zacchaeus happened to be in that tree. Just happened to be there. You just happened to be here. You are here this morning and Jesus is calling out to you, I want to come to your house today. Will you receive Him gladly like Zacchaeus did? Or will you stay in your tree? Just kind of vaguely interested. Something unique is happening here. There's something strange. Something worth seeing. Will you stay in the tree? Watching? Or will you come down and receive the Lord Jesus Christ gladly? Will you call Him your Lord and lay everything at His feet? Or will you hang on to your little trinkets? As the Lord of the universe who has come to seek and to save the lost passes you by. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now is that us as a church? Is that us? Do we exist to seek and to save the lost here? Or do we exist for our own comfort and safety? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. There are other people that I didn't mention yet who are watching all of this going on between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Look at verse 7 of Luke 19. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Here they are again. These are the same kind of people that told Bartimaeus to sit down and shut up. Then it was, we want our, we want our worship to be dignified. Sit down, shut up. Now it's, we want our church to be clean. Our church is for us. It's for people like us. It's for people who are good, like us. People who are righteous, like us. We go to church because it makes us feel good about ourselves. We can look around at all these other nice, clean people and know that we're part of that group. We're part of those people, the clean, nice people. After all, Jesus likes nice people, right? Is that you? Would you have been disturbed by the fact that Jesus agreed to be the guest of a man who was a sinner? You're saying, no, 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 of course not. I'm glad that Jesus came to rescue those hard cases like that. Let him have them. More power to him. Send him off. Send Jesus off to spend time with those bad people like Zacchaeus. I wouldn't have grumbled about it. Really? 
It's very easy to say that, isn't it? But you know that the only way to prove that you would not have been one of those who despised Jesus for spending time with the sinners is for you to spend time with those sinners. Just like Jesus did. The only way for you to demonstrate that you are not the kind of person who would have said, "Mm, he's hanging out with sinners again, is for you to be the guest of sinners. Or to have them as your guests. I am convinced many of us, many of us would certainly have stood among the grumblers that day. I'm convinced of it. And the way we live proves it. The side of the street that we choose to walk down so that we can avoid those people over there that are always there proves it. The people we ignore proves it. The people who are not sitting next to you right now proves it. But what was Jesus like? (laughs) Jesus did not wait for sinners to seek Him. We're fine if they come seeking us. That's fine. Jesus didn't wait for sinners to seek Him. He says, I have come to seek sinners. Will we be like Him or won't we? Will we as a church have any resemblance to the Jesus that we claim to love and to worship? Well, after he eats lunch with Zacchaeus, he goes on down the road towards Jerusalem to die. Verse 28. After he had said these things, we don't have time to look at the things that he said, the parable. After he had said these things, very sharp things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Now as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Here's another crowd of people. There are disciples of Jesus who know that He is the King. And they're exuberant. Some of you this morning are this crowd of people. You know Jesus Christ is the King. You know it. And you are filled with joy. And you do praise God joyfully. And you do lift up loud voices. And Jesus accepts their praise. He accepts your praise. He welcomes it. He promotes it. He loves it. He basks in it. He does not refuse it at all. He is on the way to die, and the people praise Him, and He loves it. 
He is about being praised. That's what he's about. Are we about praising him? With joy. With loudness. With exuberance. With flamboyance. As we should expect by now, there are other people on the road who do not want Jesus to be praised like this. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I will be praised. I will be praised. And again, there are people like that here in this room right now. You don't really want Jesus to be praised. Not really. As long as you can hang on to your dignity, okay. But you don't really want Jesus to be praised. Not flamboyantly, not freely, not enthusiastically. It's just a bit extreme, don't you think? These are the same kind of people who keep popping up over and over again. Sit down and shut up. Jesus is eating with sinners? Tell your disciples to stop being so outrageous. Now, listen. Is that the way we want our church to be? Is that the way you want to be? No needy people. No messy people. No broken people. No lost people. And certainly, above all else, no enthusiastic people. Just respectable people. When Jesus is on the road to die, He made room for needy, broken people. He sought out sinful people. He took a detour to have lunch with a wicked man. He encouraged outrageous people who are praising Him. That is what He is like when He's on His way to die. That is what is important to Him. That sums up who He is and what He's about. How can we, how can we get so far away from that? How can, how can it be that we people who claim to love Him and to obey Him and who claim to want to be like Him, make claims to His grace, make claims to His mercy, make claims to promises like those whom He foreknew He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. How can we get so far away from Him that we become the naysayers? We become the grumblers. We become the party poopers. Sit down and shut up. Don't talk to Him. Tell them to be quiet. Will we be like Jesus or won't we? 
Will you call out to Jesus? Have mercy on me. Or won't you? Will you love and believe Jesus? The Jesus who said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Will you believe that? And will you receive Him gladly? Or won't you? Will you praise and cry out to Jesus? And, and not care what the people are saying about it? Or won't you? He will hear you. I guarantee you He will hear you. He will save you if you come to Him. And He will love your praise. Come to Him. And you know what? He will help us. He will help us to be like Him. If we come to Him. Let's pray.